Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, we are going to... Basically, this is not a continuation of a series. It might be a continuation to a certain extent of uh, what we spoke about on Wednesday. And um, just something that I believe that God is just continuing to speak into more and more as we go forward. And if you remember at the end of last week's message, I encouraged you to not necessarily go turn on the football game, but to go to the book of Acts and to read chapter 9. And if you were a Giants fan, you should have taken my advice because that was brutal. Um, but we're, we talked about chapter 9 of the book of Acts, and, and we're not going to read it here this morning in the interest of time, but this is the story, and more than a story, because someone told me the other day, they said, I don't call them stories in the Bible. I call them accounts. This is the account of what took place in the man named Saul, who would be converted into the man named Paul, who would become one of the greatest missionaries that the world has ever seen. And so when we look at the book of Acts, we see the story of Ananias, a man that God shows up to, and he says, Ananias, I'm going to send you to this man named Saul, and I want you to go to him, and I want you to pray for him. I want you to to speak to him. And Ananias immediately says, "Uh, God, I think you have the wrong guy, not me, but Saul. Um, I know what he's been up to. He's been persecuting the church. He was the one that, as we read in the book of Acts, that he was standing there, Saul, as Stephen was being martyred, and he stood there to approve of what was going on. And so Ananias says, you know, I don't think this is a good idea, God. And God says, well, I've already shown him your face, so you're going. This is what's going to happen. And Ananias, to his credit, says, yes, Lord, I'll go and do exactly that. And he goes and he prays for Saul. It says that something like scales fall off of his eyes that he's able to see. It's a beautiful story. But uh, immediately afterwards, in the same way that Ananias was saying, God, I don't think this is a good idea, we read in verse 14 that some of the other apostles and the people around them were uh, were curious as well as to what was going on here. Um, We're going to read it here. Verse uh, 15 says, uh, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry before the Gentiles and kings, the children of Israel. But then we get to verse 21, and Paul begins to speak. And all those who are listening, it says, are amazed. And and they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? There was an amazing transformation that took place in the life of Saul to become Paul. But just because this transformation had occurred, it did not mean that everybody received him and received what God had done. This was first with Ananias, it was then with those who were listening. And what we see in this story is a representation of what happens when we get stuck looking in what is old instead of recognizing what has now been made new. There were those around Saul that at first could not accept that he had actually been impacted by Jesus, that his life had been transformed. And what I want to talk about here today is the places in our lives where at times we get stuck looking at what was instead of what is and what is going to come. I want to look at three biblical accounts here today found in the book of uh, first in John and then in the book of Luke that speak about some of the most the closest people to Jesus 
after his death and his resurrection. We know that Jesus went to the cross, he died, he, he rose again, and then we find this story in the book of John chapter 20, and it's the story of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is going to the tomb of Jesus. She's looking for him, and we're going to pick this up in verses 11 through 16. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she went, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him, and in Aramaic she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary comes looking for Jesus. Now, for me, it's a little bit interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, she sees angels sitting in the tomb, and yet she still doesn't put two and two together. She thinks that they, whoever they are, have taken the body of Jesus, and she looks at Jesus, and it says she does not recognize him. I want to look at another account here in Luke, the book of Luke chapter 24. This is a story of the gentlemen, the disciples on the way to um, Emmaus. And it talks about all the things that had happened at that time. And uh, actually in verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were keep, from kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. I don't have anything to say about this verse, but it stands out to me that they just stood there looking sad. Just stands out to me. Verse 18, Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, Jesus, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. These men, once again, walked with Jesus. They're walking with him down the road, and it says their eyes were kept from seeing him, 
But there's more to this story than, than just that. But before we get to it, I want to look now at uh, John chapter 21. And this really was the first passage that it stood out to me. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now, just one more thing. I, I really like to read these verses and to get deep into them. What was it about the other two disciples that they couldn't even be named? He goes through the process of naming five of them very specifically. He even says that Thomas was called the twin. He gives extra information about uh, Thomas and the other two, they were just there. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said, we will go out with you. And they went out and they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus stood on the shore and they did not know that it was Jesus. We go on to read in this story that they're out fishing. He says to them, cast your net on the other side. And, and they do that and they, and they bring in all of this fish. And, and then we get to uh, verse, um, let's see here, verse 7. And it says that the disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. This story goes on, this account goes on to speak about how Jesus, he speaks to Peter, he restores him. Peter had denied Jesus three times and Jesus three times looks at Peter and says, do you love me? Do you love me? And do you love me? The three times that he asked this question to restore him for the three times that he had denied him. But what I see very interesting in this, and I'm sure that you're picking up on this as we read through these accounts, is that you have men and women who walked with Jesus, who learned from Jesus, who saw him perform miracles, who performed miracles because of him and alongside of him. And yet, as Jesus is standing before them, it says they do not recognize him. And my question, of course, is how is it possible that these men and women who knew Jesus so well and so intimately could see him? It was still the same Jesus in that it says that he still had the nail holes in his hands and in his feet. He showed them to Thomas. He still had the, the, the wound on his side from where the spear had entered into him. And yet there was something about Jesus that was different. Now, I think it would be easy to say, well, that Jesus must have looked differently. I don't think Jesus had a disguise on, though. I don't think he was wearing, like, the glasses and the mustache, just to throw them off. There was something that was different about Jesus. Jesus they had walked with all of this time, and then Jesus went to the cross, he died and he went to the tomb and there was something about Jesus on the other side of the cross that looked different than the Jesus that they knew and they loved. I want to take some time today to look at what this meant for them and also what this means for us because as we've been saying over the past few weeks and, and months really, what we believe and what we know is very important. Do we know what we believe and do we believe what we know? And as important as this is about ourselves and, and even the scripture, 
what we know and believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us in our lives. The way that we see him, Jesus, the resurrected Savior, is the very thing that has the ability to transform our lives from what was to what is and what will be. I want to read today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because there's this verse that we know very, very well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, verse 17 is probably a verse that most of us know, most of us could quote very well. And it speaks about our new nature in Christ. Because the old things have passed away and all things have become new, right? But it's very important that we take the time not just to read 2 Corinthians 5.17, but the verses leading up to it. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 16 actually hold the key to giving us the ability to step into the reality of what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. So let's read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, verse 16 to me is one of those verses that as I'm reading through the Bible, it would be very easy to skim over the top of it, not think much about it, or maybe ask myself a question like, hey, that's a little strange. What does that mean? What does that mean to no longer regard Christ according to the flesh? But then as I'm reading, I get to verse 17, of course, and verse 17 is the exciting part, and so I leave verse 16 behind. But what I need to say to you today is that as important as verse 17 is, that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, that the old things have passed away and all things have become new, if we don't recognize and understand verse 16, we can never get to verse 17. And so I want to talk today about what this actually means to no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. You see, for the disciples, they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they saw him, they, they, they did their life together. But yet, as I said, there was something that when Jesus went to the cross and rose again, that they were no longer able to recognize him anymore. And what I want to suggest to you here today, and what I want us to really just hone in on here is that there is something about Jesus before the cross that is easier to receive and accept than the Jesus that went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose again. There's something about Jesus on this side of the cross that for some reason makes a lot more sense in our natural minds. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When Jesus went to the cross, we know that he fulfilled every prophecy ever spoken about him. We know that he paid the price as the perfect and the spotless lamb. 
We know that he fulfilled what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming in the beginning of John and he said, behold, here comes the Lamb of God, the pure and spotless Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. On this side of the cross, we know that we are bound to sin and shame and brokenness. But on this side of the cross, we recognize that through the fulfilled work of Jesus, we have freedom and we have a new life. On this side of the cross is where we would regard Jesus according to the flesh. On this side of the cross is where we recognize who he is in the spirit. So what was it for the disciples that prevented them from seeing Jesus for who he really was? And this is the question that I want to ask here today. Do we really know Jesus? Do we know Jesus? Do we know what he looks like? Do we know who he actually is? So what, what I would say here today is that when I'm looking through this story, the disciples who knew Jesus better than anybody in the world, who had seen him perform all these miracles, I think we have to look at the fact that at this point in time, they were dealing with a lot of disappointment and shattered expectations that they had looked to Jesus as the one who was going to be their Savior and their Messiah, that they saw him as the one that was going to give them their identity and their purpose. They were asking him, can I be the one that sits on your, on your right side when you take the throne? Like, there was all these expectations. But did they for a moment think that the Jesus that they loved was going to give his very life? that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be shamed, that he was going to be broken, that he was going to be taken from them. Did they ever take the time to understand that? Even when he said to them, this is what's going to happen, they couldn't conceive it in their natural minds. And so when Jesus shows up to them on the shore, we are not dealing with disciples who are walking in the empowerment of of what it means to live a new life on this side of the cross. What they see at that time is all that they don't have. All that was broken and all that was taken from them. And that for some reason, it was easier for them to see the Jesus on this side of the cross than it was for them to receive the Jesus that went through the cross and rose again. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the cross is foolishness to those who don't know him, but to us it's, it's the power of our, our salvation. What he's saying is that this cross represents something that in our human logic and understanding, we have a very difficult time grasping and comprehending. Because the cross represents so much, and, and for us as Christians, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt this means the death of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made, and the eventual resurrection. This is why we look to the cross the way we do. But when I look at the cross, there's something else that I see. Because when I look at the cross, I recognize that for me to fully understand that I was taken from this place of the cross where I was broken, where I was full of shame and sin and condemnation, to get to that side of the cross... It was only accepting what he had done. But there is something in the cross that means that I have to take my own understanding and I have to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. It means that I have to be willing to lay down my ability to be right and to understand all that God has for me in order for me to actually step into the truth and the reality 
of 2 Corinthians 5.17. I think what happens so often is that just as the disciples did, we get stuck on this side of the cross. And in truth, it is easier for us to accept the Jesus that is represented in culture and in our own understanding and our own ideas than it is to understand the full reality of the supernatural risen Savior of the world. Even for the disciples, it was easier for them to understand Him as a rabbi instead of, instead of crucified Savior. And what we do is when we look around the world right now, what we see is culture striving to create a Jesus in their own image that makes sense to them, that empowers them to do all the things they want to do instead of recognizing what the cross means. Where I take all that, that I have in my own flesh and my own, my own desires and my own need to be right and laying it down so that I can enter into the fullness of what he has for me. I, I think back to some of the movies and maybe you've seen them, you know, back in the day on, on some of the Christian television stations of the meek and mild Jesus, right? And, and Jesus, absolutely, right? He was, he was meek and he, was, he had strength even in his, in his quietness. But what we want to see as a culture is we want to see the Jesus that, that loves everybody, accepts everybody, receives everybody, and would never ever for a second tell somebody they're doing something wrong. It's much easier for us to see the Jesus that we've created in our own image than the true reality of who he actually is. We've taken Jesus and we've reduced him down to this this one who was a good teacher who would empower every one of us to do whatever we want to do and at the end of the day, as long as we, we did more things than we did bad or maybe as long as we just say, yes, Jesus, that we are given access into heaven. Never changing anything. Never, never laying down anything, never fully understanding what it means to give ourselves to him. We, we've reduced him down to, to politically correct Jesus. Because it's easier to live with politically correct Jesus because I don't have to change. I don't have to do anything. I just get to go to church and check the boxes. The way we see Jesus matters. Who we see Jesus as matters. I think in some ways we've taken Jesus and we've, we've put him as a part of the new trinity. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and Jesus. I, was, uh, I gave an example during the first service, but somebody came up to me and they gave me a better example, honestly. I've been hearing a lot more of artificial intelligence. It's everywhere, right? Kids don't have to do homework anymore. Like, I think it's like, I think that's an actual statement. Like, you could just go to chat GPT and be like, hey, what's the answer? I need an essay written on this, this, and this. And, and to be honest with you, I'm concerned, genuinely. Like, all joking aside, I'm concerned about what this means, not just for the present, but especially for the future. And I know that there's good that can come out of it, and, and a lot of you could probably come up and tell me all the good things about it. But I was made aware of this app that you could download on your phone called uh, AI Jesus. Where you can download an app and ask it questions as if it was Jesus. That, that your phone, as if it wasn't doing enough already, could now become your savior. 
where you could go and ask it for advice. The, the, the original thing that I was talking about is that I saw that somebody really wanted a Bible verse to affirm them in going for, for you know, gender reassignment or whatever it was. And so they went to ChatGPT and they said, hey, um, you know, can you give me a Bible verse that supports this? And ChatGPT came up with its own Bible verse. Sounded like the Bible. Even had some biblical, like, you know, maybe reference to it. Maybe some of the words of Jesus and just perverted it to make it say whatever they wanted it to say. You see, it's a lot easier to accept the idea of Jesus than the reality of Jesus. Now, the, 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 uh, the Pharisees may have. The disciples did not have this issue as far as all the things we're just talking about. But yet still, there was something about Jesus walking on earth that they could receive and they could accept and that they could understand. But the second that Jesus showed up to them after the cross, they were now left in a place of needing to see something differently. And what I see in this story is that Jesus was doing something intentionally as always. Because Jesus knew that if they were to go out and to do all that he had called them to do, they could no longer do it based out of their own understanding of who he was, based off of what he had done, because he was leaving. They knew this truth, right? But if they were going to go from where they were over here, seeing the miracles as amazing as they were, into walking in the fullness of what it meant to be a Christian without Jesus walking with them, they needed to change the way that they looked. They needed to change their perception and they needed to see him differently. I would say here today that for each one of us, there is a point in time in our lives and in our walk with Christ where we have to recognize which Jesus we're looking at. Are we looking at the Jesus of the stories that make us feel good and are warm and fuzzy or the things that make us feel comfortable or the fact that he performed miracles as crazy as it is for our mind to understand that it's easier for us to accept that than it is for us to understand that we have been called to walk in alignment with what he has done on the cross in the supernatural power that he has bestowed on us. Can I tell you it's a lot more comfortable on this side of the cross? I think that unfortunately, much of, I'll at least say, American Christianity resides on this side of the cross. The moment that we understand that going from here to, to seeing actual Jesus actually requires me to lay something down, it becomes a lot more difficult. Because for so many of us, we want to make sense of all that Jesus has to give us before we fully receive it. There are some in this room, and and I'm sure that I've done it at certain points in my life too, where we would just say, God, if you do this, then then I'll I'll do that because I, I just need it to make sense. I just need to wrap my mind around it. If you can answer this question for me, and this is what much of the world does, just prove to me that Jesus is, is real and then I'll serve him. But the reality is that, that if we are going to come from the understanding that we have in our carnal minds to come into the supernatural reality of who he is, there is something that needs to be laid down at his feet. And the thing is, it's not just the world that, that believes in a Jesus that lets them do whatever they want and doesn't ever want to be told that they're doing something wrong. Because there are other places in which we see Jesus on this side of the cross, and for some reason we can't make it to that side of the cross. 
Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5.16 and 5.17. If, if we are a new creation, if the old things have truly passed away and all things have become new, and that is on this side of the cross, how come so often we spend all this time over here trying to earn what he's already done? I would say today that it is easier for us to make sense of a Jesus that requires A, B, C, D, E, F, G, however long you want to make it. It's a lot easier for us to understand this than it is for us to wrap our minds around a Jesus who would give his life for us, that he would give us all that we need so that we can fulfill everything that he wants us to do. It's far easier to be on this side where I, where I, I know that he loves me, but, but if I can just do enough things right today, then maybe he'll receive me and love me. We come over here and we preach all the right things and we say, okay, this is who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ. But then we tell people, well, you better get your stuff together if you're really going to, to come to church, if you're really going to be a part of what he's doing. Like, like I, he did all of this, but, but fix it all first. And, and there's like this, this mixture that occurs when we understand the truth of what he has said and done, and yet we still, let's just speak about ourselves, internally require ourselves to fix it all in order to receive it. This side of the cross represents the law this side of the cross represents grace and this cross was the fulfillment of all that needed to be done for us to step into the grace but in order for me to walk out this grace i have to understand that this is the starting point this is where we begin because what I'm not saying for a second, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. God has a standard and it does not change. The only difference between this side of the cross and this side of the cross is that on this side, I had to do it on my own. But on this side, I have Jesus living inside of me who empowers me to reach the standard. But what I see happening a lot is that there is this, there's this, there's this chasm between these two places. And we spend a lot of time getting really dizzy because we're, we're over here in grace and then we're coming back over here because, well, I have to do enough right to be able to go with Jesus, but, but he did it all for me. Thank you, Jesus. But then I come back over here because I, I, just, don't, I just don't know if I've, if I've actually received it because, because I just don't feel it. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I can't comprehend it in my mind. And once again, what the cross represents for us as Christians, is the willingness to lay down all that we have and all that we can comprehend to step into the fullness of what Jesus has done and to say, Jesus, I don't understand it and I don't get it and I don't get how you can be so good and I don't know why you love me so much and I don't know how it's possible, but your word said that when I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. But I have to see it and I have to see him for who he really is. Because when I don't, I'm just living as a confused person who wants it but just can't ever seem to get to it. 
but I think really and truly the cross is is over here it's like day one of my life with Jesus and there is so much more over here that I'm called to do because this is all the empowerment of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of me but I spend so much time over here and I'm sorry to whoever's operating the camera today I spend so much time over here, yes, in the dark, because I'm trying to make sense of it. And we stay limited, and we don't actually reach the world, and we don't actually have an impact on people, and we don't actually see the things that we're asking for, because we're still trying to make sense of all of it over there. When Jesus said, look at all that I've given to you. Look at all that I've made possible for you. Yes, you do. You have to lay things down. Yes, your life is going to look different. No, you can't live in all the dysfunction of your past. But there is so much more ahead of you than what was behind you if you would allow me to walk with you and if you could see me for who I really am and not who you think that I am. The passive Jesus who lets you stay in your dysfunction who empowers you to do whatever you want or keeps you in that place of trying to earn it. There are so many layers to this in the way that we see Jesus. There are so many layers to this in in what Jesus was before. And can I tell you that every single thing that Jesus did before the cross is just as important. Like all of it comes together. He did all that needed to be done. So we don't diminish that for a second. But what was it about Jesus that the disciples could not recognize? What was it about Mary that, they, that, that she could not see him, that she heard his voice? And it wasn't until he called her name that she saw him. What was it about the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus? There was something about the new reality that just didn't make sense here because Jesus needed it to make sense here. And as long as we are trying to make sense of Jesus here, We will never be able to fully receive him here. And it's from here that we are called to be all that we could never be on our own. I want to look once again just at these passages so that we can see the moment when their eyes are opened. Because there is something about their eyes being open that gives me the hope that knows that, you know what, my eyes, in the places that I didn't see right, that he wants to open them and he wants to give me clarity. So when we look back at this story of Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb, we see she comes and she looks for him and and she does not see him. And and once again, I, I love the fact that she's seeking him out, that she's searching for him, that she's looking for him. But at the moment that she sees him and he says her name, that's the moment where everything changes. There was something about that moment in in the identity that she had that, you know, she had given everything to Jesus and Jesus had given everything to her. It says that Jesus had cast out seven spirits from her, that there was demons in her and that he had restored her life. There was something about the Jesus on this side of the cross that meant everything to her. But now she had to listen to Jesus on the other side, calling out her name and inviting her over. And when she heard his voice and she heard her name being spoken, it was then that she was able to step over and to see him for who he really was. The reason that this is important and the reason I want to give you a visual of this today is because when Jesus went to the cross, it says that he went to take care of every sin. 
And anything that had ever been wrong in all of humanity, that he paid the price for it. Which means that he knew you and he knew your shortcomings and your failures and your sins before you ever even breathed your first breath. When he rose again, though, he's still speaking to you, but he's speaking to you from this place. And I just want you to see and to see in your, in your spirit right now that Jesus is reaching out to you and he's calling you by name and he is inviting you from what was into what is. That whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've been through, whatever you've gone through, that there is a Savior who loves you enough to not leave you where you were, but to call you by name and to invite you into the new reality of all these made possible for you. Mary, Rabbi, it changed everything for her. The, the second story, let's just look back to it quickly again. The disciples walking with Jesus on the road to, to Emmaus. They're walking with him, and, and they said, yeah, he was a good man. He, he did a lot of good things. We had a lot of hope in him. We thought that he was going to be the one. But then all of this stuff happened, and now we're confused. And it says that their eyes were closed. But then at the end of it, Jesus is not very kind to them, is he? He says in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he goes on to say, wasn't all of these things necessary? You see, what Jesus was saying to them was, you believed something according to to what what your mind was telling you over here. But there is something new for you over here. And so he began to open up the scriptures and gave them the truth of who he was from the Old Testament all the way to the New. But it's not at that moment that they received the revelation of who he was, is it? It says uh, in verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going. They said, stay with us. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The significance of this for me is that he had given them all of the information as to why he was over here. But when he invited them in in relationship and broke bread with them and prayed, it was then that their eyes were opened. You see, all the information in the world, the information can be a good thing. It is not until we enter into that place of connection and relationship with him that all the things that were spoken in Scripture become a reality to us. There are so many that would get so caught up in the legal and the law and all the word as if that is God above all else. Instead of understanding that the God who fulfilled the scriptures and every word that was spoken, that's the God that lives inside of us. It's not ever to diminish anything in this book, but it is to say that if you have the word without the one who wrote it, you only have half the equation. And finally, when the disciples are standing on the shore and Jesus says, cast your net out, And they bring in the net with all the fish in it. Can I suggest to you today that it was not the fish that gave them the revelation of Jesus. It was not the miracle even, although that was part of it. They had seen miracles. They had seen blind eyes open and the dead raised to life. It wasn't the miracle. There was something in that moment that they were being restored back to the goodness of God. It says that the disciple that Jesus loved that he's the one that looks at Peter and says, it is the Lord. 
I think it's significant that it was John that had this revelation because there was something in the provision of Jesus on this side of the cross, on the other side of all of the brokenness that they had gone through, on the other side of the fact that, that so many had walked away from him, on the other side that they, they had been disappointed, that they had been beaten down, that their hopes and their dreams had been destroyed. And Jesus came back to them and he brought them back to the place where he had first called them. Remember the story? Jesus finds them the first time and tells them, cast your nets into the sea. They catch that big net of fish. There was something about it in this moment where they recognized that all that we thought was lost, all that we thought was gone, all that we thought would never come back in the death of Jesus, that Jesus is here with us, that he has restored us, that he is present with us, and that all that, all the shame and the sadness and all the things they had just gone through, that he was with them to restore them back into a place of seeing him as they never had before. See, the thing about seeing Jesus clearly is that it is always going to happen in relationship. It's always going to happen because of his Holy Spirit. I feel this morning that there are some in this room that have gone through some really difficult times, that have seen heartbreak, that have seen brokenness, that have seen situations in your life that you just can't really make sense of and you don't understand. That there were expectations that perhaps you had of God and you asked the question, God, why? Why did this have to happen the way that it did? I, why, why, when everything seemed like it was going so well, why then was everything falling apart? Why, why did I have to go through this and seemingly alone that there are these questions that, that resonate in our heart and maybe they've been there so long that we've just silenced them and we've pushed them to the side? But Jesus is standing on the other side in the fullness of what he has done. And he is inviting you into the reality to say, first of all, I want you to lay aside. Not to pretend it doesn't matter, not to pretend it wasn't important, but to lay down your need and your, your right to be right. Your right to have all the answers and to trust that when you walk in this relationship and this journey with me, that I am going to give you everything that you need that I'm going to restore you, that I'm going to bring healing, that I'm going to walk with you in the places of difficulty. It doesn't mean that the situation changes from this side to this side, but it means that when we're going through it with Jesus, that we have what we need to go through it. That we're not trying to make sense of it on our own. That we're not trying to figure out all the details of it, but we're saying, God, you have what I need. You have the wisdom I need, the discernment that I need, the provision that I need, the healing that I need. You have what I need. But above all of all else, I know that you're with me. I know that you're present with me in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my circumstance, in the midst of my pain. And I'm done trying to make sense of all of it. I'm done trying to figure it all out. Now, for some of you in this room, that sounds amazing. And for others of you, maybe the smarter people, just kidding about smarter, but the more cerebral. You're like, but I still, I, I just have this need to, to make sense of, of so many things. Can I tell you that God knows exactly how he designed you and that he wants to bring you into greater insight and greater wisdom, but first he wants to bring you back into greater relationship? Yeah. 